Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Today, we have somebody who you've probably heard of because he is all over the place, especially when it comes to marketing, digital media. He speaks at lots and lots of conferences all over the United States and North America, and he happens to be in a very similar space than we are here at Top Advisor Marketing. So we're going to have an opportunity to get a different perspective on a lot of the same sort of topics that we talk about on the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast all the time. Mike Langford, who is the CEO of FinServe Marketing. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Now, you have a very interesting history. I love the history question because it gets my opportunity to, to get to know you even better, but it also allows our audience to get a quick, like, you know, 30, 60 second snapshot of why in God's name you're on the podcast and where you are right now. So let's start with that, brother. Tell us yeah, absolutely. how you got here. So, uh, you know, the, I'll give you that 30 second kind of overview. I've been in the financial services slash fintech space since 1994. So I am a member of the last generation to get into this space before the internet existed, right? Very few people now could say that mm -hmm. they were an adult before the internet. <laughs> so I started out my, my career answering phones for Boston Financial Data Services. So before the internet, people would call in and get the, the quote of the day for their mutual fund and send us a prospectus and all that type of stuff. Quickly worked my way up for companies like State Street Corporation, Fidelity. Left Fidelity, became an advisor. And very early on, this is 06, I started realizing I was going to have to use digital marketing to grow that business because I didn't have a big marketing budget, right? So I started using a newsletter. And then in 07, I had heard of this thing called podcasting. I'm like, I'll create a podcast for my business. That'll be a good way to reach people. They can hear my voice. They can build up a familiarity with me instead of just seeing a newsletter in their email box. And it worked pretty well. I started getting lots of traction there. I was using social media as well to grow the business. I mean, little hint, and I think everybody knows about this now, is the fact that on LinkedIn, when you see somebody change jobs, it's an indication that there's probably some money in motion. And so I started ding, building. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I started seeing that and I was really early on that train, if you will. I'm, heck, I'm user 169,000 on LinkedIn out of their half a billion people. I was just really, really early. Nothing special other than I'm kind of a you know, gadget head, tinkerer, whatever. I'm always an early adopter when it comes to tech. So one thing that happened that was a, a massive career change, however, is in late 07, I went to this thing called PodCamp to learn more about podcasting and, and, and digital marketing. And it was just basically this conference where people were into podcasting, kind of very nerdy sounding. I joined Twitter that day. This is October of 07. And Twitter to me at that time, I thought it was ridiculous, right? I'm like, who's going to use this thing called Twitter? So I put it away and didn't look at it until early 08. And then one of my clients sent me an email. And in the footer, of that email, he had his Twitter handle. I'm like, why the heck does Aaron have his Twitter handle here? So I clicked it, went to Twitter, and saw that he had 600 or so people following him. I'm like, what the heck, 600 people follow Aaron? That's weird. Then I started Googling, put his name into Google, and sure enough, his Twitter profile came up on the first page of Google. I'm like, oh, I get it, it's Google juice. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. This is really cool. So I started using 
Twitter and other social media tools much more aggressively then. But after a while, as much as I enjoyed it, I was annoyed because back then, Twitter did not thread conversations. You, when somebody replied to a tweet, you'd have to click the little link that said in reply to, and it would open up another web page that showed the tweet that the person replied to, and you'd have to keep clicking in order to see more stuff. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. So I decided to hire a bunch of developers and build something. We built something called TweetWorks, which created the first fully threaded conversations for Twitter. We created groups like you see on LinkedIn and on Facebook for Twitter types of conversations. And it was really, really cool stuff. So kind of backburnered my financial practice and went whole hog into that space. Amazing experience, yet we ran out of money at the end of 2010 because as I mentioned, this was 2008 when I started this, hmm. that's the beginning of the financial crisis, right? So you, it was very difficult to raise capital. And by the time the dust settled and things started to get a little back to normal in 2010, Twitter basically put everybody on notice like, hey, don't build off our platform because we're going to start doing a lot of the stuff that you developers are doing. So I was like, all right, fine. So I shut that down at the end of 2010. I was sitting there going, now what do I want to do? I still have a small client base with my IRA. What do I want to do next? Talk to my wife about it. Now, we had been talking about moving someplace warm for a while. We were living in the Boston area at the time. And I had been down here to Austin, Texas for a South by Southwest during the TweetWorks experience and try to promote the business and mingle with a lot of the, the tech founders and so forth. And I said, why don't we move to Austin? We had actually that client that I mentioned, he moved, he and his family had moved here to Austin. And there was this Boston to Austin migration. We were seeing lots of people were coming here, great place for young families. So we decided we were gonna do the same. I needed a place to hang my hat. There was a company called Socialware at the time that was looking for somebody to head up strategy because they were selling into the wealth management space. They created the solution that was meant for advisors and wealth management firms to use social media and do so compliantly, right? You need to archive everything. Things need, certain things need to be permissioned. There needs to be a, a, a chain of, for digital communication, right? You can't just let people tweet and post whatever they want on social if you're in the, the space. So I reached out to them and said, hey, I might be perfect. And they thought so as well. So I joined Socialware and that put me on a new path, right? Suddenly I was in the boardroom and at the conferences for every wealth management firm in America that you can imagine, speaking to their advisor populations, evangelizing social media, telling them why they needed to be there, why it was beneficial for their business, both on the offensive and on the defensive side and the like. Well, as startups go, sometimes they don't go too well. At the end of a year or so, Socialware started to have some challenges largely due to new competitors that entered the market. They were you know, a first mover, but some of the competitors were eating their lunch. And so I left in 2012, but a lot of the clients that I was working with came calling and said, hey, Mike, can we still work with you? We want to work, we want to tap into your strategies and so forth. And then FinServe Marketing was born. So that's the intro, a lot longer than 30 seconds, but- Oh, that's all right, dude. Captures where we are. Absolutely. So one of the things that you talk about, which is very similar to what we talk about, is we, we call it a micro-influencer strategy, and you call it creating your own gravity. So it's that attraction aspect of your strategy. Let's talk about that. So when we talk about micro-influencer, we're talking about uh, marketing in the expertise economy, which positioning yourself as an expert draws people to you, and you're drawing people to you with your gravity concept. Would you mind sharing with our audience what that is? 
Absolutely. So I first came up with the concept or articulating it that way, calling it creating your own gravity. When I started an event that happens every year at South by Southwest called SoFi, for short for social financial, right? It's a, it's a half day mini conference gathering to kick South by Southwest off for people who are in the fintech and financial services ecosystem. So that's fintech startup founders, people who work for those teams as well, industry executives from the big firms like Fidelity and Wells Fargo and the like, and then people who are investors in the space. So angel investors and VCs who are interested in that space. I had decided to create this event primarily because people told me from the space that they weren't going to come to South by anymore. I'm like, well, why aren't you coming to South by? They're like, well, I'm not meeting anybody really good for my business. Nothing's happening for my business. And it was, seemed weird for me because I'm like, well, that's because you're not in the right room. Every time I go to a conference, I meet really good people, whether it's South by Southwest or someplace else. So I told these people, I said, listen, I tell you what, I will create an event and I'll get a lot of people from the space in the room and it'll be awesome. So real quick, I sent out a bunch of invites, got people to come to an event. I reached out to a bunch of startups and said, hey, come demo at this event. It's going to be filled with people from the financial services ecosystem. I'm going to get some investors in the room as well. It's going to be really good for you. Within about one month of planning, we had 150 people jammed into a bar in South Congress here at, 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 uh, in Austin for the South By. And people raved about the event. They said it was the best event that they had for the entire South by Southwest conference. And I think it's because of a couple of things. Number one, there was people in the room that were, had shared interests, right? Everybody was relevant. This audience was curated. We knew who we wanted to have in the room. So we created that audience, if you will, shared interests. We provided really cool content, right? To feed that shared interest. And then of course we set the culture for everybody in the room too. It's, it's Austin, it's in March, everybody's nice weather, let's wear jeans and t-shirts, have beer and tacos, right? Having that culture of openness and interaction really set people at ease. So that created an environment for people to connect and interact and they ended up loving this event and it benefited a lot of people, including one of the first startups that demoed ended up landing funding and getting their first enterprise client at that event. But what it did for me was really something interesting. It created gravity. Suddenly everybody, when they're coming to South by Southwest, wants to talk to me. We get calls from very large financial companies, very large FinTech players who wanna sponsor the event every year. People can't wait to get on the guest list and make sure that they come to the event. People kind of fight over it a little bit to get a demo spot if they're, if they're a FinTech startup. So I've become just, by putting on an event, a bit of a, an influencer here in the Austin space for FinTech related stuff. And anybody who wants to talk about FinTech in Austin comes to me. What it's done for me and my business has been magnificent because of that little bit of gravity, just that little extra effort I have about putting people together and sharing interesting content with them. It makes me able to just get in the door with any firm I want to. In fact, many com companies come to me to talk to me about how can we work with you for digital marketing? And more recently, how can we work with you on the podcast side? Because you're doing some podcasts and it's, we like what you're doing. 
can you run our podcast? Can you help us with our webinars and all that type of stuff? So it's really worked out very well. So it's that, so for our listening audience as an advisor, uh, how, how you just created your gravity is the exact same thing that they can. It's really finding that hyper-focused niche and the opportunity, whether it's within your specific area of expertise or physically, geographical area. I mean, you're in a perfect situation for all of these different things because of your background and your location and your contacts and all of those. But do you think that advisors need to, well, let me, let me rephrase the question. How do you help advisors figure out what their gravity needs to be? That's a really good question. The way that I have always suggested advisors approach that is pick a niche, a target market that either they are uniquely qualified to serve way better than any other advisor that they can think of, right? Or, the, or a niche that they are particularly interested in serving, serving and are passionate about. So for instance, most advisors did something else before they were an advisor, right? Many of them, very few of them come directly out of college and go straight into becoming a financial advisor. Chances are they did something else before. Chances are they also have some other interests outside of being an advisor. Whatever that is, start to build a community around that, right? So for instance, if you were in tech before and you just decided I'm gonna become a financial advisor, wonderful, start talking to people in tech in your community, get to know them, start putting on events or hosting online stuff, whether it's a, a podcast or, or online Zoom sessions or whatever, something related to tech, getting everybody in that room, you're gonna create your own gravity. People are gonna know who you are and what you do, obviously because you'll introduce yourself as I'm a financial advisor, we specialize in helping people in the tech industry. And, but one of the things you do when you do it that, that way is, you're also hitting on something else that's really, really important. You know your stuff, right? You know that space. You know, I've, I've, I've talked about this many times over the years. It's, you know, there's that old saying in business that people do business with those they know, like, and trust. We've heard that like a million times. I think it's an old Zig Ziglar sales line or whatever. I'm sure everybody's claimed ownership of it at one point in time. But there's a couple of things missing from that, right? Number one is, familiarity. I can know you like you trust you, but if I have not heard from you in a long time, or if I it just, you know, don't see you that frequently, I don't, you know, you might not get my business because you just weren't there at the right time, right? So being top of mind, the top of the consideration set for somebody because they see you all the time, because they know you know their business, they hear you speak their language, it matters. For somebody, I always use the example of what do you call your customers? Mm -hmm. You probably call them clients. I call mine clients. But a restaurateur says diners, a hotelier, hotelier, hotelier. Yeah, well, we'll go with whichever one we go with, right? It sounds great to me, man. Keep going. They, yeah, they call their customers guests, right? Everybody has a different phraseology for it. People talk about their customers and the things they do for those customers differently right? Some people call, like, as an example, in our business, we have financial products and we have financial services. Well, some people might look at that and go, yeah, that product's actually a service. It's not a product, right? But okay, fine. Whatever. We have different language and you have to speak the language of your customer to really influence them. 
right? Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're getting in with them, kind of going native, if you will, and spending a lot of time with them, building up that familiarity. The other thing you need to do that, you know, that is missing that know you like you trust you thing is you have to demonstrate competence, right? I can know you like you trust you. I can see you all the time. But if I think you're like a bad driver, I'm not going to lend you my car. Yeah. Right. So I have to have some feeling that you're good at what you do. Well, things like you're doing for your clients with, with podcasting and, and helping your community of advisors develop their, their micro influence, if you will, their gravity. What that's doing for them is letting the world know, I know my stuff. I'm good at this because you're going to hear me talking about some of the things that are related to financial advice and investment management over time. And you're going to hear it in the context of how it's important for you and your niche. Does that make sense? It does. You know, we just, uh, one of our clients just shot a video. This is so funny. He's a podcasting guy and he shot us a video because he was so excited and we, he wanted to show us his excitement. And uh, he had been trying to work with this family of wealth for, for a long time. They do very advanced estate planning and stuff like that. And the client called him. Now he, this person's a client, called him and said, oh, my God, I just, this is prospect for a long time. I just listened to your first three podcasts, and I didn't know that you did exactly what I need. I need to come in, right? So let's talk about podcasting. And because you've been in the podcasting game longer than I have, even though I do have to say, I think I've been behind a mic longer than you have because I started when I was 13 in high school. But uh, so you've got, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the podcast network, you've got the sofa and podcast, you've got all of these things and you help your clients with podcasting. Why in God's name do you think that podcasting is a good solution for financial services professionals and companies and people who provide services to financial advisors? What is it about this medium that turns you on in 07? Really good question. So I'll go back to that voice concept, right? So we process things differently in print than we do when we hear somebody speak, just as we process them differently when we see somebody speak or when we're in person with somebody. I could read the same words on a piece of paper or I can hear you say those words in my ears and I'm going to react and process to it differently. When we hear from somebody, literally hear from somebody in our earbuds, if you will, it creates a next level connection, right? You're in my head, literally, you're on my ears as I'm walking around, vacuuming, mowing the lawn, you're working out, whatever it is you do while you're listening to podcasts. And by the way, just so everybody knows, over 100 million Americans listen to podcasts regularly. So that's another big reason why. And they're doing it for entertainment. They're doing it for education. They're doing it to because they like the voice that they're hearing. They just actually, I'll give you an example. I listen to the Bill Simmons podcast. Number one, I'm a Boston guy. I'm a Boston sports guy. So Bill Simmons talks a lot about Boston sports. However, even when he's talking about things that I have no interest in, I still listen because you know, I don't gamble. I'm not a sports gambler. I don't, it's just not my thing, but I don't care. I'll listen to him ramble about it. I like when he has some of his friends on. You start to build that connection with people, right? It happens even more so when it's really relevant to you and your business. So as an example, our clients are fintech firms and other enterprises that sell into the wealth management space primarily. Occasionally it strays outside of that. We will occasionally work with wealth management firms themselves. But by and large, what I have discovered is 
that's our that's our our niche really really strongly we know fintech we understand how the wealth management space works so we can help our clients navigate that landscape and communicate really well with advisors or the executives at the firm level all right i'm going to interrupt you there cuz cuz here's the thing so you said 100 million people listen to podcasts which is you know we 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 throw that out there all the time and the average person listens up to six different podcasts at a time but dude financial advisors the people who consume the products of your clients are they listening to podcasts? Number one. And number two, why do you think, and I'm trying to leading you just a smidge here, but why sure. do you think that financial advisors as independent RIAs or certified financial planners or insurance professionals don't jump on this wagon as quickly as you and I have or period? I, I'm just I'm picking your brain. So yeah, absolutely. Well, first answer your first question. Absolutely. You can't have a hundred million Americans listening to podcasts regularly and expansively and say, yeah, but not financial advisors. They're human beings just like us, right? They're, they're, they, they vary in age, right? Across all there in every demographic you can imagine. Yes, the average advisor is a male and yes, more of them are towards the back nine of their career right now than at the early stages of their career. But demographically, people are listening to pods. You'd be surprised that they don't make an assumption. We used to have the same conversation at the early days of social media. Back in 2011, when I was with Socialware and I was out there evangelizing social media, I would have advisors raise their hand like, well, my clients aren't on social media. Like, are you sure? Well, no. See, I deal with high net worth individuals. They don't have time for social. Have you checked? <laughs> right? Have you gone to look to see if CEO. So you just pull up a you know LinkedIn and show them all the CEOs that are on there, all the people that they know to be worth seven, eight, ten figures that are actually on social and are using it actively, and that gets them thinking a little bit differently. The same is true here for podcasting. Everybody you know, every demographic you want to go after is using social. It's true for financial advisors. Heck, one of the things that's really interesting to us is the number of executives at wealth management firms that'll say, oh, I listened to that episode. It was really good. Mm. Well, that's interesting. You're, you know, here you are like really, really busy. You're at a CMO of a major financial firm and you're listening to the pod. Mm. One of the things they do with the podcast that's also interesting, and I think this is particularly good for your advisors to hear or the advisors who are kind of on the fence to hear just like your website and like your social media profiles, people will look to validate you, if you will, in their research process by going online to look to see what can I see on their website? Does this person really exist? What is their, you know, how are they presenting themselves to the world? Are they on social? How active are they? What are they sharing? And then if there's an opportunity to hear you speak before they get in a meeting with you, they're going to take it. They're going to watch video of you. They're going to listen to a podcast of you. And then they show up and they're like, oh, I know, I know who this person is a little bit before we're starting to do business. Yeah. They feel like they know you because podcasting and, and you know, that sort of consuming this sort of information, whether it's, you know, digitally like, uh, you know, written form and social videos or, or audio, it's so intimate. Uh, that I think people don't really always grasp the intimacy. Now, so we, we call that social proof and scale credibility. We, we didn't come up with social proof, but scale credibility because, you know, the more webs, which I think is still funny that people forget the fact that this is a web, which means there's mm -hmm. lots of different things that go in and out. And the more things that you have going from the center, you're probably going to catch more prey, right? Which is great. But when it comes to overall next steps, 
Okay. So you are way more connected than anybody I think I've ever met in the fintech in, in my whole career. So what's the next best thing, dude? I mean, is, is podcasting the next big thing for, for financial services overall to get their messages out and to help themselves market? Is there, is there another sort of algorithmic thing that we can do on a social media platform? What are, what are we missing that you might know about that our audience would be like, damn, that was really cool. Mike shared that. Okay. So real quick, before we jump into that, I want to jump back to, I didn't answer one of your questions you asked before. So you asked, why aren't our advisors kind of on, on the uh -huh. fence a yeah, little bit yeah, about yeah. this? So okay. I want to make sure we answer that. So what is the reticence, if you will, to podcasting? So if you're an advisor listening to this podcast and you're, well, I'm not sure if I'd want to do that. As somebody who's been doing this since 07 and I'm an extrovert, by the way. Like, there's never been a stage that I didn't want to be on. There's never been a, you know, a, I like hearing myself talk, I guess, is the way I, I, I've discovered a talent when I was really young. I'm good at talking. <laughs> and my parents would concur, I guess, because I never stopped talking as a kid. There is a bit of performance anxiety. Most people have never heard themselves talk, right? So there, there is a bit of unease with that. And my experience with advisors over the years, there, there is a bit of that. They don't want to put themselves in a position to potentially feel like they look foolish. And I say feel like they look foolish, not actually look foolish, because there's a, a feeling of it. It's the same thing we tell our kids, though. You got to do something. You got to start doing it. You are going to stink at it at first. You're not going to feel super comfortable with a new medium at first until you get a few reps under your belt. So if you've built your business, as an example, doing seminars, doing the lunch and learns and bringing you know, potential prospects into a room and teaching them something about financial management, retirement planning, college planning, whatever that is. And at first, remember how uncomfortable you were with that process? Well, you're gonna feel that way at the beginning, but get rolling. Now, remember a hundred million people Many of them are the people you want to have as clients are listening to podcasts. You don't have to have a podcast that has tens of millions of listeners to be successful with this. You get a few hundred consistent listeners, many of them are going to translate into clients. Many of them are going to be existing clients who will eventually be encouraged by one of your episodes to send you referrals, right? Because they're, they're hearing something and it triggers something in their brain, right? So I think it's just an unease with trying something new. I saw the same thing with social media back in the day. People just nervous. I used to get, here's a perfect example of a question that I used to get when evangelizing the concept of social media through advisors. Hey, Mike, I'm nervous about getting on Facebook because I don't want everybody to know everything about me. I don't want them to know all the details of my life. To which I would reply, like, you know that Facebook only has what you put in it about you, right? Like, it's not going to suck all your life stories out of your head and onto Facebook. And then the other one I would get was like, I don't want, what if somebody says something bad about me? I don't want to be on social media because pe people might say something bad about me. It's like, you realize that people have the internet and they can say something bad about you, whether you're there or not, right? So some of the things that uh, kind of come up at first, that unease I think they trickle into other mediums as well. But once people start to get a little more comfortable with it, I would suggest to help somebody get over the hump, maybe invite them to be on somebody else's podcast. Hey, come be a guest. Let me hear from you. And then they'll see that it, 
was easier than they thought. And then they can start to run their own show. So, well, thank you for going back to uh, that original question. I got so excited about asking you this follow-up question that uh, I totally forgot that I, you didn't answer the other one. But the question is, is you are so finely tuned into financial services, uh, especially when it comes to tech, that I'm sure that you have heard rumor mills or different things uh, of something else that is coming out. What is the next great big thing in the fintech area, in the fintech arena that we really need to be paying attention to? That's a really interesting question to think about that. What is the next best thing that is going to help advisors succeed in their business, right? There's two pieces to that that I always think about. There's, there's how am I going to acquire new clients and service my existing clients more effectively, right? So it's all about bringing on new business, expanding the share of wallet and, and experience with your existing clients, and of course, client retention. I really do think that we're in it right now. This, the dawn of podcasting, video and, and webinars for advisors when done effectively uh, is going to really transform businesses for advisors, both on the client acquisition side and on the client service side. Because as we've heard for years and years and years, advisors need to touch their clients 20 times a year in order for the client to feel loved, if you will, to, to feel happy that they're, they're looking for interaction. Well, there's a challenge though, as, as, Pricing compression really takes hold as, as you know, prices have come down on, on AUM fees, on the, the fees for, the, for products, just about everybody's moving off the commission model and, and moving into that fee-only model. You have to get more efficient with your client communication. And having the ability to broadcast and record stuff and have that show up where the client and the prospect feels most comfortable digesting it is a really, really good idea. Now, here's the great thing about that. And, and the timing that we're in right now with this COVID-19 pandemic with people sheltering at home, people are getting used to consuming stuff on pre-recorded video or via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or whatever they, they're calling that now. They're getting comfortable with being serviced that way. And that opens up a whole new opportunity for you and your business because you don't have to stack your day with meeting after meeting after meeting. Instead, you can scale your experience and that'll allow you to serve more clients, even if you're earning a smaller fee off those clients or you're now finding yourself trying to service clients who have maybe a smaller AUM because you want to grow them over time. So I think that experience, if you will, like really starting to leverage these tools is one of the next best things. Another thing is, and this is a full disclosure, a client of ours, Truelytics, I actually host the Modern Financial Advisor podcast for Truelytics. This is something that I think is going to be very transformative for the advisor space. Until now, most advisors really haven't thought about their book of business as a business. They think of it as a practice. They, they think, hey, listen, I've got clients. I get X amount of fee revenue or, or commission on a, on a quarterly basis. All's good in the world. But they're not thinking about, and in the same way that somebody owns a tech business would think, or even somebody who owns a restaurant, they're not looking at the metrics. They're, they're not seeing how their business is performing compared to its peers, other than maybe at the, at the top level, like if they're trying to make president's club, they're looking at what their gross commission or, their, or their, their fees are so they can get into that president's club or their, whatever the elite club is at their broker dealer that they're working with. But looking at your performance metrics, how am I performing in terms of my portfolio management strategy? How, how am I doing from a you know, revenue per client? 
all those types of metrics, Truelytics is actually shining a light on that. So it's a really, really interesting tool. And I actually recorded a podcast a, a few pods ago for them doing an analogy between race car drivers and racing teams, elite racing teams, because during lockdown, I've been watching an insane amount of Formula One racing and everything else on, on Netflix and so forth. There's some really great parallels to high performance racing teams and high performance wealth management teams and the resources that are behind helping an advisor become much more high performance in his or her business. Uh, I, I like that parallel a lot. So I, I think tools like Truelytics are going to help advisors be higher performance, have more safety in their business with things like their continuity solution as well. Really, really smart innovation. If somebody wants to engage you, Mike, whether to come to your, your, your FinTech event by, you know, before South by Southwest or just engage you just as a, a marketing resource and, and a great point of contact to learn more about the digital space, what's the best way for them to reach out? So Mike at FinServe Marketing, all one word, FinServeMarketing.com, or ping me on socials. I'm at Mike Langford literally everywhere. So you're just real easy to find. You are super easy to find, brother. It was really easy to find you. And thank you so much for your thought leadership today. Thank you very much for talking to us about all of these magnificent things when it comes to technology, podcasting, you know, how you started with all of this. This has been a really fun journey and I can't thank you enough. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. It's super, super easy. And if you have any guest ideas or topics you'd like for us to cover, all you have to do is email me, matt at topadvisorm.com. So for Mike Langford and all of us here at Top Advisor Marketing, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.